Well, good morning again, guys. If you would, grab your Bibles if you brought them. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at that situation. We're going to look at Adam and Eve. What happened with them, some, some interaction they had with God, some interaction they had with a serpent. Um, but before we get started, I want to ask you guys a question. Have you ever been in a situation where uh, maybe your wife or your husband ask you a question and, and you say, did I, did I really say that? Did I really tell the kids we're, we're going to splash in the burrow today? Or given the season that we're in, honey, did I really forget to tell you I was going hunting Saturday? It happens, whether it's weakness, forgetfulness, whatever the thing is, sometimes we find ourselves in those situations where the things we say get us in a bind. Today's message is about that. The point of today's message is that misquoting God can get us into trouble. It leads to the fall. It, it's the problem that Adam and Eve had was when they misquoted God that they ended up in a problem. It happened way back when things were perfect, when things were different than they are now, when when the challenges that we deal with now weren't a thing. And now it is a thing. It's that we have to deal with, that the world is different now. So we'll work our way through that, how that God told Adam and Eve something. They took that and allowed the serpent into their lives, and the serpent shifted it, that twisted what God said, and it became, it became the biggest deal, the biggest misuse of wording that's ever been known to man. It, it, it became the reason that we deal with pain and grief and heartache. All those things go on because of this, that misquoting God leads to the fall. Again, we're going we're gonna to work our way through Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 1, we'll plug our way through this, and I'll, I'll, I'll lay out for you how this interaction happened, and it results into the fall. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? We've got a couple things going on there. The craftiness of the serpent is kind of the first thing that we, we really want to look at because there's a sleight of hand. There's a, 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 a word usage that the serpent uses to get Eve off of, off of her game. The, that word usage there is Lord God and then did God really say? There's, there's two things going on in that second, that second part there. But the Lord God and God. There, there are two different names for God. And if we were to turn back to Genesis chapter 1, the, the, we see the story of creation. God's name, God is referenced in, we have an English translation. But most of the, uh, the, the Hebrew translations use God. Elohim is, is the word used throughout creation. And when you get to chapter 2, God has, has created man. He's created Adam. And throughout chapter 2, we have a personal interaction between God and Adam. And God's name changes. We see 
the Lord God instead of God. Yahweh, God's personal name, becomes part of the picture. We've got the Lord God interacting with His creation. The the thing He said, it's very good. Everything He created, He said, is good. But then when when He created Adam, He said, this is very good. He created man, this is very good. And He's personal. We, we see Satan shift that from the personal nature of God to back to just God. And I don't mean that sacrilegiously or disrespectful or anything like that, because just God is, God is important. When we say God, we, it means something to us. But there's a difference between a personal and a factual situation. A personal hits home. It grabs me. Satan is taking the attention off of God that way. He's making God distant. He's making God feel like the God that we know exists, the God who promised us he's not going to leave us when we're sitting in that doctor's office getting news that we did not want. When a child has has done something that we taught them better than to do. When our marriage is struggling, when our business is crumbling, and we're, we're going, God, you said you wouldn't leave me. Why are you so far away from me right now? The doubts and things. It's the same thing the serpent has going on with Eve right there. Makes God feel distant. And then, did he really say that? Have you, you, you ever asked a question, did you say, stop at the stop sign? Did you really say stop at the stop sign? That really changes everything. You can hear the tone, the accusatory tone. Did God really say that? This, this is what the serpent's doing to Eve, how he's, he's tripping her up, how he's changing the very idea of God. We keep going. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, excuse me, the woman said to the serpent, you may eat, tree, eat fruit from the trees in the garden. So the woman said to the serpent, y'all, if a snake slithered up these stairs right here and stopped and went at me, I'm telling you I'm out the doors. I'm not really afraid of snakes, But this snake had been talking to her. Have you ever been to small group or something like, something going on at the church? You got a casserole in your hand. You're trying to get the kids coming along. You and your wife are, the the timing is always, it's always hard to get out the door and on the way on time, right? And you're in a hurry and you're holding the casserole and you walk around the front of your truck or front of her car and d- down the sidewalk, whatever, whatever it is, and there's a snake. And there went the casserole because that sucker's 12 feet in the air, and I jumped and screamed, ah! And the kids are going, what is going on? And I, it, because I saw it, because it snuck up on me. I wasn't expecting it, much less it talking to me. Snakes don't talk. They rattle and they... Th- but this is, the, this is the beauty of God's creation, what Pastor Mike was talking about, about Alaska. That when God created it before the fall, before they eat the fruit, it was cool. 
We hung out with polar bears. How awesome would that be? That Eve is completely okay talking to a snake. It just slithers up and says, hey, I got a question for you. Now, the question wasn't a good question. The conversation wasn't a good conversation. But we see the beauty in God's creation that he created us to interact with the world around us, with with the rest of his, his creation. But what was said during the conversation matters. That's where the fall comes into play. So if we keep reading. But God did say, you must not eat from the fruit. You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. That, and you must not touch it, is where our problem comes into play. I want to, I don't want you guys to turn there. I don't want to get get you lost. Write it down in the margins of your Bible if you want to. Chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. We're still in Genesis. But I'm going to go backwards and read this to you guys. And I want you all to pick up on something here. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do, when you, when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Did God tell Adam anything about touching the tree? He didn't. It was only if you eat it. Eve inserted that, you must not touch it or you will die. And she opened the door. Here comes Satan. We're going to see what happens next. But she opens the door by, by putting words in God's mouth that, that caused a major problem for them and now for us, for all of humanity. Satan keeps going, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. His, his interaction there is, is, it denies God's judgment. It denies God's character. God didn't tell you the truth. You aren't going to die. The serpent has pointed his finger at God and he's shifted everything Eve sees going on already in this, 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 just these three words. Hold up a minute. God isn't who you think he is. Cause this doubt. Did, did, did God really say? And from there, Eve opened her mouth and started going. And now, oh, we've got a problem. And the problem keeps going. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Man, the serpent is playing on human desires. Who does not want to have more knowledge? And I'm not talking about Jeopardy, get on the stage and win the show knowledge. I'm talking about I want to know my wife better. I want to know how to parent better. I want to know how to do my job. I want to know how to do the things God's telling me to do so that I can honor Him, so that I can do them well, so I quit stepping on Legos, so that I know how to do life the way He's telling me to do life. And Eve is, she's at this point, she's got to be like, what? He, he knew? That when we ate this, our eyes would be open? Who doesn't want their eyes to be open? Drive down the road when it's foggy. Man, I wish I could see. And there, there it is. 
and you'll be like God. Ugh. I'm going to be more important. I'm going to be now God and, and, and Adam and Eve are no longer there. It's not creator and created. It's not father and child. It's. Oh, he's he's been trying to keep me down. He's keeping me from being all I can be. Knowing good and evil. Who doesn't want more knowledge again? So this is, this is all going on, this dynamic situation where, where Adam and Eve and the serpent, are, he's flipping just their picture that they know who God is. The God who had, who had walked in the garden with them. The God that after they eat the fruit continues to walk with them. He walks back into the garden. This is his, he's personal, he's tangible, he's there. And Satan has made an animosity between them. Then we, we keep reading. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Right here, the, they, she saw that the fruit of the tree was good. Now the problem starts to come to a head. Satan has created the doubt. He's allowed Eve to think that her opinion, her, her thoughts, her judgment might be, might, might be worth considering. It's not that, that God didn't create us to be intelligent beings or anything like that. He didn't create us to think outside of what he wants us to do, though. He wants to guide us. He wants us to follow him and she, this, this situation has been set up so Eve is going, maybe I have a choice in the matter. Maybe I have a decision to make. But her decision saw that the food was pleasing. Her decision saw that it was for gaining wisdom. Her decision caused her to eat it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. This decision, it, 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 Satan had caused that, again, that, that twisting, that warping of the situation so that Adam and Eve were not recognizing God's commands, God's instructions as a way to keep me out of trouble, as a way to keep me from harm. The way Satan had twisted it, he's keeping me from having pleasure. He's keeping me from, from growing. He's keeping me from being all that I can be. He's keeping me from experiencing all the world has to offer. But that's not what God's instructions were for. That's not what it was all about. It was about how to keep us from being hurt. So what does all of this mean to us? The first thing that we need to recognize is that Satan tempts. He tempts us. He's crafty. He's, he's deceitful. Paul told Timothy that, that Adam wasn't the one deceived. That it was Eve deceived. And it was she became the sinner. Now, I'm, I'm, that's important. It's 100% important because Satan... He deceived her. He was crafty. He, he caused that to happen. Adam had a role in it too. We're not, we're not throwing Adam 
you know, he's, his responsibility hasn't been shucked by saying that. We'll get, get a little more to Adam in just a second. But this, this, Satan had used that situation to present doubt, to cause thought and, and reflection that resulted in God no longer being God, personal, but God stingy. God, I'm keeping this for myself. God, I don't want them to have that. I don't want them to be like me. It caused them, he questioned, caused them to question, what did God really say? Is that, is that what God said? Changed the way things were phrased. Next part of how Satan does this is he isolates us. He separates us from people that we need. That, that passage that I, I read from in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the you that God used there was y'all. It was plural. It was Adam and Eve, humankind, mankind. God knew he was going to create right after after he gave those instructions, he said that it's not good for man to be alone and I'm, I'm going to create him, create man a helper. By verse 16, God's taken a rib from Adam and we're, we've got Eve. Adam heard the instructions from God. But those instructions were intended for y'all, not him. But when, you, the, when we start verse, or excuse me, chapter 3, the serpent said to the woman, by the end of verse 6, we see Eve has eaten the fruit and she has given it to her husband who was with her. They're standing there shoulder to shoulder the whole time that the serpent is doing his thing. But the serpent isn't addressing Adam. He's talking to Eve. He's not addressing the one who heard the instructions from God. He's doing the second-hand information thing, try, trying to wiggle his way in there to cause doubt, to cause confusion. And it works. It's the same thing that happens to us when we find ourselves... Y'all, this was my biggest fear with the coronavirus is that we ended up... I know we've said that way too much. But it's it, that we end up separated from our church families, from people, from our mentors and, and people in the church who teach us who, who keep us stuck in this, who keep us clinging to it, who help us understand what it means, we get isolated and bad things happen. Satan starts making us question things and we trip, we fall. Back to Adam though. Earlier I, I talked about Timothy and Paul, what Paul said to Timothy and Adam wasn't the one deceived, you're right, he did it deliberately. Eve was deceived. She was tricked, and he was right there. She gave it to her husband who ate it. He was with her. Homie just, yep, let's do it. And uh, come on, man. You, you, why are you letting this situation? You know what God said, and you didn't step in. You didn't change things. And... He could have. He knew what God said. God's word, knowing what God says, keeps us out of trouble. It keeps us from walking into these situations. Let me keep going. 
Because this is all part of the tactic that Satan uses. It's part of the trial that we, we deal with. It's how he sets up the situation we have. And from there, he contradicts God. He, did he really say that? And then, then you say, well, this is what he says. And he goes, mm, you won't die. You're like, what? Well, he said we die. No, he, you won't. All of this, and they're going, well, well was God lying? Well, what, 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 what's happening? What all, and it, this doubt is going on, God, the contradicting God, the challenge of God, the challenge of his character, because it, it just, it goes from the, the, no, you won't die, to God knows. It'll open your eyes. It'll help you see. It'll give you good things he's trying to keep from you. And that doubt turns to curiosity. From there, we see that Satan uses the, our mistakes, capitalizes on them. He tried it with Jesus. When Jesus was, was tempted, he tried to, to get Jesus to turn bread into stone. He tried to get Jesus to jump off a temple. He tried to get Jesus to worship him. That's confusing. He, Satan, tried to get Jesus to worship Satan. I hope, is that less confusing? Do I need to re-explain that? Is it good? Okay. Um, but each time Jesus said, it was written, it was said, and he uses God's word so accurately and, and so, so well that it boxes Satan out that he, he can't. He can't misuse what Jesus is saying. We're not Jesus. That we're, we're going to make mistakes. But it's so important to be knowledgeable about God's word. To, to be able to say, it was written. It was said. So that we can tell Satan, no. So what should we do? That's, that's the big question. What's the application? How do we live because of this? The first thing to remember is that God's Word is our source for living. It's, it's an instruction sheet. It's an instruction manual. It's, it's a book of God telling us how to live. This is, these are principles. These are ideas that will help you raise your children, help you in your marriage, help you with finances, help you with business, help you with every aspect of life. Help you prioritize. It will help you be holy. It'll help you be practical. It'll help you be who God wants you to be. And it's not just restrictions. That was the point. That was where Satan tripped them, them being Adam and Eve, was it's not just restrictions. It's this is how to keep you from getting hurt. This is how to keep you from making mistakes, from opening the door to problems. It's to help you. The second thing we got to do, we've got to cling to God's word accurately to resist temptation. Again, Jesus did it. That's how he got through his temptation. And that's why plus one is so important. And, and the ministries like that are, are so important that, that rely on God's word 
as, as the meat, the substance, the power to tell us where to go, to tell us how to live life. Things like having a mentor, having somebody um, that, that, can, that can give you instructions. I, I come into Pastor Mike's office almost daily to ask, talk about something. Um, I try not to, how do I do this every day? But there are times that I need his help. I need a mentor. Paul talked about maturity, immaturity in the way Paul was talking wasn't a bad thing. It was just a lack of experience. We need those people. We need people who have lived a life digging in God's word to help us live that life. We need that ourselves. We need to be spending time so that we grow that. We need groups of people in our lives this, again, is, is why these ministries are important. The last thing we need to recognize is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus has conquered Satan. That this situation is bad. Satan has wiggled his way in there. He's caused Adam and Eve to, to sin. And now the whole world has this problem. But Jesus is Lord. Following him, clinging to him, making him boss is how we get through this. It's how we prioritize, how we emphasize God's word, how we allow it to permeate our hearts, how it changes us so that it can become what it's supposed to be. The guide, the principle giving in words of God to tell us how to live our lives. You know, my prayer for us is that we see it as that. We see it as, as, as principles. We see it as a way to keep us from being hurt, as a way to, to live lives that are fruitful, live lives that are, that are solid, live lives that are everything positive that God's calling us to live. I'm going to stop there. Pastor Mike's going to pray in just a moment. But we've got a special announcement that, that he's got to make. So I'm going to step off and let him talk. Thank you, Thank you Tyler. Um, many of you may not know this. If you've been around a long time, you may be somewhat familiar. But Grace Community Church is 25 years old. 25 years old. In fact, in April of next year, we'll be 26 years old. And apart from my sweet wife, who has been by my side since we started Grace... No one has been more helpful to me and supportive of me than this guy right here. I know you're surprised by that because it's John, right? Um, John is going to be going in a different direction with his life, and it hurts my heart, but we're not losing him. Um, he's going to explain why in just a little bit. We have John and Jill, or at least John, excuse me, on staff. For another two months, um, we're going to be searching for someone to replace him up here, and that's not going to be easy. We've done it before, but um, it's not an easy process. But for the next two months, he'll be doing his thing, as he always does. He's responsible for so much that goes on at Grace Community Church. But starting in January, hopefully we will have filled his position, um, and he can just be a regular church-going guy and a volunteer on Sunday. So I wanted him to explain why we're making that choice. It sounded so bad. It's like everybody it said, what's bad. going I'm on? It did sound bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, nothing bad at all. Nothing bad at all. A couple of years ago, many of you know, 
Um, I developed this new process for recycling plastic and glass, and what started out as a hobby uh, quickly turned into something uh, much, much more, much, much larger. And over the last year, Jill and I have, have just been uh, weighing this decision on, on what, to do, what to do next. Is this something that we pursue or is this something that we do not pursue? pursue? And we, we finally made the decision that, that it's time, just time for me to move on to this next chapter in my life, to pass the torch on uh, to someone else uh, who, can, who can continue with this work. So we're both grateful for the opportunities that we've had here. I'm super grateful for everyone who's uh, a part of this church, the, the opportunity that I've had to minister here for the last 18 years. I've experienced you know, the best times of my life here and the worst times of my life here. So I'm grateful for um, everything that I've been allowed to do, looking forward to the future. Uh, this is still our church. We're still around, of course, uh, but we're just excited about what, you know, God will have in store for this place and for us as we move forward. Um, I, I know what everybody's thinking. I mean, it's it's sad that John won't be up here leading, uh, won't be on staff, but what everybody really wants to know is, so Jill's going to continue singing? <laughs> Jill will be here. Okay, good. All right. That's all anybody cares about. Okay. All right, look, uh, let me tell you something. 18 years ago when John walked into the church, we were meeting in a skating rink, and he was as agnostic, critical, skeptical, and harsh as anybody you'd ever want to meet. I'd never met anybody like him. Uh, and in the time he's been here, God has turned him into the man, the leader that he is today. Uh, and I am sure going to miss him on this team and on this staff. I know that uh, the rest of my staff feels the same way. Tyler's brand new, and the two of them have gotten close very quickly, but... Nonetheless, uh, like he said, they're still around. They're still part of this church. They'll be volunteering and serving alongside of you. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm, I'm going to miss him on the team. So you pray for us because over the next several weeks, we're going to be fielding resumes and interviewing people and, and trying to find someone to shoot uh, to fill his shoes. Okay. All right. Let's have a prayer and uh, we'll go about our day. Father, good morning. Once again, we are grateful for the privilege of turning to you uh, for guidance. Father, lead this church, guide it. Thank you so much for John, his service through these many years. God, thank you for his brilliant idea, the way you've blessed him. I pray for his business, God. Move him forward. Bless his family. Thank you for the time that he has sacrificed over these past years uh, to, to make it all fit. Now that he transitions, God, I pray that you would just pour on the blessing to he and his family. God, go with us through this week. May we honor you in everything we do. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, Grace Community Church. I will see you next time.